0: Hi, my name is Jesse Sweet, and I'm a graduate student in the BMS program at the Marion University College of Osteopathic Medicine. And today I'm going to be interviewing Matt Cooper, who I like to call Coop, about his experience with biphenotypic leukemia as part of our patient podcast project. Matt, how are you doing today?
1: Doing well, Jesse, thanks, thanks for having me on. Glad i can. glad I can help with this project.
0: Oh, that's just great to hear. Matt. Matt's one of my close friends that I, have, uh, I actually met going into my first year of college at IU um, and getting to know him. I learned about you know, some things with his history and um, you know, some of the things that he went through growing up and towards the last few years um, of his high school experience when he was diagnosed with this type of leukemia. And Matt, I was just wondering if you could tell us about the disease and your journey to this diagnosis.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I'll start from the beginning. In the summer of uh, 2015, I was on the track in cross country team, and I had ran a time trial and I had taken third with about a, a time of like 16:20. And um, from and I was super excited going into the season, thinking like I'm gonna have some super season, like be great, maybe make all state even. And then as the season progressed, the first symptom was that my times were progressively getting um, slower and slower. I wasn't getting any better. And then another main symptom that eventually caught on was like every run, I would have these pains in my hamstrings that would shoot all the way down my feet. And originally they had thought like I had pinched a nerve like behind my knee and that I just needed some rest and to kind of roll it out and stretch it out. But then I also then started getting some more, I don't know, serious symptoms, like outside of running. I started having diarrhea uh, almost daily and even diarrhea, like on the runs, I couldn't really have a good control of my bowel movements. Uh, Then that kind of led to overall fatigue, which I chopped up to being, you know, I'm a high school student. I'm staying up late playing video games. I'm being kind of young and stupid. Of course, I'm tired all the time. But then uh, I just noticed I also had trouble breathing going up the stairs at uh, my high school and especially during exercise, like it was constant <laughs> and it was, and I had asthma. So then like I chopped it up to so, like my asthma's getting worse, which is why I'm breathing so heavily. But then, um, so I ignore these systems for months, months. And then February rolls around, February of 2016 now, and uh, you know, the running season's over, but like. Again, like I can kind of tell something's off. And uh, I wake up one night just uh, covered in sweat, absolutely drenched in sweat, you would think I just jumped into a pool, and then hopped in my bed, like literally standing full of sweat. And I was like, this is wild. And I call my mom and my mom's like, you know, like, maybe something else is like, actually a little bit off, like, let's, let's go to like your pediatrician's office. And I don't know what shot they gave me they gave me some type of shot to see if i had like a bacterial infection and like i didn't have a response toward it so it came back negative so then my pediatrician was just like well let's just let's just get some blood tests and you know see what comes up and then i was sitting in my u.s history class of february 16th of 2016 the phone rang and the teacher was like matt i don't know what's going on you need to go to the office i thought i was in trouble for something i was a good student so i couldn't figure out why i was in trouble And, like, my mom, I saw my mom, and, like, in the office, I could tell she, like, something was very wrong. Like, she had been crying, and I just heard her say, like, we're going to the hospital, and Matt will not be returning for, like, a very long time. And, you know, we went out the door, and, like, long story short, like, I went to um, IU North on, um, IU North and Carmel, which they have a Riley department there. And, uh, yeah, I was diagnosed with AML and ALL leukemia. At first, they only diagnosed me with the ALL part, but yeah, that's kind of the journey towards it. It was about about six or so months. Yeah, symptoms.
0: Yeah, and that's you know, as a seventeen-year-old, seventeen or eighteen-year-old at the time, something like that is, you know, just shocking news to receive, um, especially in the setting of just being at school and being called down like that.
1: Yeah, um, you know, like seventeen at the time. Yeah, what you're so young and like, you're so healthy really at that age, especially what in the sport I was doing running and cross country. Like I thought my fitness was better than like 99% of the people out there. And so that's what really led me to ignore all the symptoms. Like I wasn't, I, I was a rare case cause I wasn't losing weight and I wasn't getting super sick and I wasn't running fevers or like getting pale, I guess, like, which would also, I guess be other signs or symptoms so late into the, um, you know, so late finding out you have leukemia. When I found out I had leukemia, they said 90% of my blood cells were cancer cells at that, at that point. And then I was stupid, you know, kind of naive, but um, I was like, oh, what would have happened if we didn't find this? And, you know, my oncologist kind of looked at me and she was like, well, you would have been dead probably by May. And I was like, great. Which, of course, I'm, I'm you know, I'm smiling and I'm laughing about it now, but it was obviously
0: um, pretty traumatizing and, uh, and scary. For sure. Right, right. I'm sure. And that was kind of leading me to my next question, which is, you know what what was the initial impact that this leukemia diagnosis had on you and your family?
1: so um it was it, it it hit really hard, especially for for my mother, because my grandpa just had um like a triple bypass surgery or something on his heart. He had something on his heart, and it didn't he was eighty nine and it didn't go well. And he he was dying too, unfortunately. And so, you know, she her she has her father dying in one hand, and now she has her youngest son get diagnosed with cancer. Obviously, like for any parent, it's tough, but you know, just balancing those out, that was really hard. My brother, he and I are pretty close and he was away in college at St. Louis University. And he he at first was like, should I drop out this semester? So I can help like take care of the house, take care of Matt and obviously he didn't and like we told him he shouldn't you know Riley gave us great <clears throat> great care and my sister was the same way you know like they, um, she took it pretty tough and it was also one of the rare moments I saw my my father cry you know he just came into the room and he and I hugged it out um it was super, it's it's really hard and like I'm glad you asked you know like what was the impact on the family because it's not just it's not just the patient it's the entire family and um i think we handled it the best we could but like definitely definitely gave us a, a 180 for sure
0: right definitely that that shocking factor right when it when it first happened i'm i can only imagine um you know kind of kind of looking back now and you know after you've gone through your treatment which we'll talk about here in a little bit um how would you say that your journey with this diagnosis and this disease has impacted you today and like what are some of the obstacles maybe you've encountered as a result of some of the medications you were on or just as a result of the whole journey in itself I'm just curious
1: yeah so I couldn't tell you how many pills I was on to begin with basically how it works is they give you this pill to cover this like terrible side effect of chemo Well, then that pill has some bad side effects. So then they have to give you another bill to cover it. And it's literally just like a a chain reaction. And it goes on and on. When I first got out of the hospital as an outpatient, I was on like 60 something pills a day, um, which was just crazy. Um, Now I'm only on like three. So how does it affect me today? I'm on Synthroid. Um, I got to take that uh, every day. Um, My immune system isn't. I'm not. What you would call immunocompromised, but I'm always on like the below average or like just above the threshold on like everything. So I really struggled with sinusitis getting out of the hospital, which you know, my freshman and sophomore year of college, uh, I couldn't uh, from October to April, I was sick and on and, and I would be on augmentin. And like that's a that's not and that's another thing I've had to deal with talking out loud to you i'm kind of realizing it having to explain to every doctor that you go to your your background and your history and why you need something like augmentin because they look at you and you're like you're a healthy college student why do you need such a strong antibiotic why do you need steroids and it's like hey man or hey woman this happened to me i'm sorry but like this is the thing that i know works best is what they used to give me like and then then having to jump through hoops like do I call his oncologist at Riley or Cincinnati Children's? Like, do, do they give me the green light? And like, that's been really tough too. Um, you know, I, I'm lucky enough that like, I really am lucky. Like I sound, I'm playing like the world's smallest violin right now, but I really am lucky. You know, I don't have, as of right now, any like heart issues or like lung issues or kidney issues that like you could possibly see from like a bone marrow transplant patient or chemo patient and in that aspect i'm really lucky you know i got to go to college a year out like i was i was attending iu fall 2017 i was diagnosed spring of 2016 was it probably premature like maybe but you know it is what it is and you know it's i'm very lucky um to avoid some some major side effects but definitely definitely had some few and sinusitis definitely has been definitely been the biggest one
0: right Right. That brings up an interesting point, actually. Um, you know, you say you're kind of on that borderline or that cusp of being immunocompromised. Um, I'm just curious how, with COVID and the pandemic and everything, how that kind of has changed or not changed the way that you, you know, carry out your daily life.
1: <laughs> well, I was a given priority for the vaccine. That was cool. <laughs> <laughs> I was in I was in line with a bunch of old people looking at me like, how the hell is this young guy getting the vaccine right now? But so that was cool. But um, it it really hasn't changed my life. You know, I, it's I'm still a not immunocompromised, but still like not very high. And you know, just like after being in the hospital and be, like going through that treatment, I'm gonna live my life to the fullest extent that I can especially after it was almost taken away from me so fast and you know obviously I adhere to the mask mandates and you know social distancing guidelines if they're there like I'm not going out like breaking the rules or anything but I'm not I'm not I'm not staying in my in my damn apartment I stayed in a room for a solid part of 6 months and went absolutely bonkers crazy so I'm not doing that again <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh that's good to hear um all right so I guess where I want to go next is kind of talking about your treatment specifically. Um, So this podcast that we're doing right now is for a pharmacology and physiology class that I'm enrolled in at Marion university. And with pharmacology, we, we just dive into way, the way that lots of these drugs that we study um, how they affect and how the body affects their reaction and, how these are used to treat certain conditions or disease states Um, one of the first which we learned was cancer therapies Um, so you know before talking about the medication specifically um, after your diagnosis what was the timeline for treatment that the physicians had informed you of
1: yeah so this may be a little bit off so originally they only thought i had all leukemia and that's i guess the more common type of leukemia that are found in kids very treatable most of the time and i think the timeline for that is like you go through intense chemo for like a month and then you do chemotherapy like once a month for the next like year or two and that's basically how they do it but then you know they sent my blood test for more testing and it came out came out that i also had aml which is the more aggressive form of leukemia found in most adults when they're diagnosed, not as treatable. And that turned into, okay, I think we're gonna do like six months of intense chemotherapy and then probably a year of chemo once a month after to get the ALL. Well then, and I don't know if it's different now, there's some lab in Seattle that may be like the central hub for the US or something, but they sent my blood out to Seattle. Seattle comes back and is like, not only does Matt have A-L-L and A-M-L, Matt also has a rare mutation called FLITS3. And apparently if my, if my memory serves me correctly, again, like could be wrong. I think there's like 10 to 12 cases of FLITS3, like every year in the United States. Like it's pretty rare. Yeah. And, um, that changed a lot. That change that went from, you know, Matt has a pretty good chance of getting through this to like, Matt has to go through three or four months of intense chemotherapy, and then needs a bone marrow transplant if he wants any chance of living or this, or like our studies show that because of this mutation, it's gonna come back. And so it changed quite a bit, um, the timeline of stuff. And uh, they, you know, they started putting me on um, a chemo, like, like a chemo pill too, for the mutation. But then they had to change that because I, I started to get symptom like uncontrollable, like diarrhea again and some other weird symptoms. So in that aspect, they they had to change the timeline changed quite a bit for sure. And what was that was that the other did you have another part of that question? Sorry, I can't. No, that,
0: that was the whole question. Okay. Um, was just basically the timeline and you know how it varied clearly, um, just based on, you know, new information that the physicians found out as they were treating you through this, um, really long duration period of time for yeah. something as serious as this leukemia that you had. Um, I guess what I want to ask next, you know, I, one more time before going into these specific medications is that had to have been a shocking finding, um, to hear that you were one of 12 people with just this mutation, you know, yeah. what, what did that, what was going through your mind at that time?
1: So anyone that takes like a freshman year high school, uh, biology course in Indiana knows that. And we know it now, like in the pandemic too, anytime COVID or a disease mutates, chances are it's not good. And so that's really all I knew. I really credit my mother and my oncologist at the time um, really, um, appropriately, I guess is, is maybe the right term delivering the news of the, of the mutation. Um, I didn't realize how, I did not realize how serious I was or how serious a bone marrow transplant and how serious split three was until like, I did what you're not supposed to do. And I Googled it. They tell you, don't, go- don't hop on Google. I was bored one night in my hospital room and I hopped on Google and I literally had a, oh crap moment of like this this is really serious and then i had a really hard tough conversation with my doctor and my mom i was like just tell me my odds like i don't care like i'm gonna ignore them but i want to know and they said it was like 30 percent chance to live which was pretty pretty mind-blowing because i i was i did great like everyone's cancer um path and um treatment and story is different I was really lucky that at least in the beginning, I reacted great to the chemotherapy. Like my cancer cells went down. I technically, I think the technical term of remission is when you don't have any cancer cells in your, in your bloodstream. I was in remission within two days of chemotherapy, technically. Like I, chemotherapy went in and cancer went out and I was very lucky in that in that aspect. But, um, it was, it was scary finding out 30% and how serious it was, and it, chemo would literally knock me on my ass. I, was, I thought I was Superman at one point, but then I got humbled pretty quickly, um, and what was cool, what was really cool is seeing my oncologist, like, reach out to, like, other doctors, like, in her network, like, hey, so John Doe from Houston, from Seattle, LA, New York, I have, like you know those cases we would study? Like, I got one. What do you know? And that was cool to see them come together and kind of propose that that treatment, that timeline treatment of, hey, based off of this, these studies and, like, these papers, we should do this this time. And, like, hope you know, hopefully Matt can pull through in the end. So that was really cool, but right. also scary in the moment.
0: Yeah, very impressive, too, because, you know, it shows how critical it was that, that these physicians that have handled these cases, um, you know, communicated with each other with a limited amount of information that they had, and ultimately yeah. came up successful.
1: Yeah, yeah, very cool. Yeah. Smart people yeah. out there.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, some very smart people. Um, so, you know, talking about your treatments and everything, I'm just curious, you know, what a couple of the names of some of these uh, cancer therapeutics that you were put on like what what were they called
1: yeah um you're going to have to excuse me if i bo- butcher the pronunciation but serafinib uh, was one of them cytarabine was another one uh etoposide i believe is what's what's called uh gosh don i remember it because it's so tough to pronounce Don Arubican may have been one um gosh they're they're a cup bo- boof booth booth boof something i remember it because like it's buffalo like buf um i know cytoxin was one because that one really caught me i was like wow cytoxin that's <laughs> going in my bloodstream today hell yeah like great can't wait to see what happens with this one today um there may have been some others but those are the ones that you know come on top of my head that I remember. So I, I apologize if I, if I butchered some of those names. No,
0: no, no worries at all. It's just interesting because, you know, from what I've heard, you were put on mainly traditional cancer therapeutics like Cytarabine and Atoposide. Um, You know, they really prioritize these what are called traditional chemotherapeutics versus one that's uh, non-traditional, which are more signal-targeted. Uh, therapeutics is what they call them. That would be like that seraphinate that you're put on. Um, And, you know, I don't know, did the doctors really explain to you how these function or how they work? Or they just said, you know, you're being put on cancer therapy.
1: They really just told me I was being put on cancer therapy. I wish, I really wish I knew the pill they put me on because that I do remember was like, this is a targeted cancer drug. Like this is supposed to be like the latest of the greatest And also it's in pill form. And I don't remember that, but that specifically when they were like, this is this is specifically for your Flitz 3. This this pill is that was I thought pretty cool. But other than that, it was just like this is your uh concoction for the day, Matthew. Um, here you go.
0: Yeah, and you know. That pill makes me think that it might be the seraphinid, like I said, the more yeah. signal targeted, very specific, um, non traditional cancer therapy. And, you know, kind of just to give you a little background of what these actually do. Um, so, the traditional chemotherapeutics, like that cytarabine and um, mainly treat and work best during uh, rapidly dividing cells, which is like, you know, the, the staple of what cancer is—it's just out of control, rapidly dividing cells. Um, and these more traditional, generalized therapeutics—they target the body's natural cell cycle, which you know you've heard of DNA replication and a mitosis, where the cell divides. Like in your probably the first biology course you ever took in high school. Um, but these more traditional therapeutics target—you know—some target these phases in the cell cycle. Um, essentially to prevent the cell from not dividing and not replicating um, and, and really kill it and slow down the spread of cancer. Um, with that being said, there, there are some, a lot more adverse side effects seen with these traditional um, therapies like cytarabine, mainly because they target these rapidly dividing cancerous cells but they also target the regularly dividing healthy cells in your body. Mm-hmm, right. Which is why, you, you know, we can talk about it here in a minute, but why you had some of these really severe physical side effects, um, like, like losing your hair or like, uh, any GI symptoms you might've had, uh, mainly because, you know, this drug was targeting every cell in your body, including mm-hmm. the healthy ones. Um, but then what's interesting is, like you said, that serafinib, which is, you know, they said was specific for your type of leukemia. They said it would um, cure the split three mutation. And, you know, I don't know necessarily the research behind it now um, on this drug specifically with this type of leukemia. But what these signal targeted non-traditional therapies do is, um, you know, like it says, it it really targets in as simple as I can put it, like a (laughs) communication pathway between um, certain molecules that tell this cancer cell to replicate and undergo. So it doesn't target that big um, replication process of the cell that's, you know, in essence, pretty broad because it's all these cells, but rather it, it targets a specific pathway that you know, these cancer cells in your body might've been relying on to, to continue to proliferate, um, replicate, divide, and worsen. So it's interesting that they really had you on this kind of combination, um, you know, of these broader ones to really just, you know, attack all of the cancer cells head on as fast as they can. But then they also introduced you know, one of these newer, more specific ones um, yeah, geared right towards your leukemia, which I just found that really interesting. And just, you know, just those few medications that you had named off. Um, and I know, like you said, they constantly changed and certain things were introduced and taken away with time, which, you know, that happens as the physicians monitor um, the progression of the disease. I just, I found that really interesting and, you know, a good a good point to you know kind of tie what I've been learning over the last semester um, to your case specifically um, and you know that I you had kind of mentioned some of the um, side effects that you experienced, but I, I'm kind of curious just to inquire about you know specific ones that you may have had um, yeah, yeah,
1: absolutely so no first that's that's super interesting that what you just said because I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking out loud, maybe, because they're like, "Oh, 90% of the cells are cancer cells. Let's just blast them. You know, cover our cover our basis. So maybe that was it. But that's just, that's super interesting. But um, yeah. So some of my symptoms, obviously, you know, lost hair. Um, that was one. Lost appetite. Some of the ones that um, maybe people aren't too familiar with, like mouth sores and stomach sores, and. Back in the day, I could have told you why, but, you know, obviously you immunocompromised, know, you don't have, there's no like good bacteria in your stomach or anymore, or like something like that. And basically what happens was I got, I'm doing it on camera, you're not going to be able to see it, like white, what these little like white dots, like on your mouth. And they, they are so painful. They make it so painful to eat. And it's even worse because I got them literally in my stomach which is also like pretty common, but I feel like people don't know about it. And so I'd be lying down in bed, and I kid you not, like immediately, like I, like I thought I was giving birth like, or something, like very pins and needles pain in my stomach. Um, you know, luckily the pain team was event, eventually, eventually set me up with some pretty strong pain medications. And I, I think I, at one point I even had a drip going because my stomach sores were so bad. Wow. And that, yeah. The, so that was that was a that was a one. Um. Golly. Uh. Oh, geez. So many. I um. I got really itchy eyes. That was a rare one, and they didn't know why. To this day, still, they don't know why. But I, there's pictures of me, and my eyes are like you. You would have thought. And it wasn't pink eye, you know, they test you for that stuff. Like immediately, if something happens to you, it's documented, they test it, and they want to make sure it's nothing. And they would test it. And it's like, they're like, it's not a bacterial infection. It's not pink eye. We couldn't tell you what it is. And so that was one. I got fevers a lot, Um, obviously, um, vomiting, uh, diarrhea. Uh, That was one. Um, (laughs) I don't know, maybe it's a little TMI, but one of the drugs, maybe P red slash orange for like a couple of weeks that was that was interesting um and yeah just you know overall fatigue you know taking a shower was very difficult sometimes you you know they I technically was a fall risk at one point um which is pretty wild you know but um those are the ones that come to my head I'm sure there are more that oh, I, oh I'm missing a big one I'm glad I remembered this so after my bone marrow transplant, it's very common to get something called graft versus host disease because you're introducing basically like a foreign immune system into your own and then your own body attacks it, the graft versus host aspect. And um, I got that. Luckily, there's like three stages or three um, scenarios for it. The third one is, could, could kill you. But um, the first one, uh, I just had a very like aggressive rash is what it came out to be. So I got very lucky in that stance. But um, yeah, I got graft versus host disease for a period of time as well. And now, now I'm talking about it. I'm remembering it more. I was, because um, I got graft versus host disease, I was very, and it's very common too, for when once you get it, I was very sensitive to sunlight and heat and that my skin would literally begin to itch like. I was a vampire or something
0: like from standing outside.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So like when I was like an outpatient visiting the hospital almost every day, but you know, like living in a hotel, I, I didn't, I didn't go outside because like, if I did, I would literally start to like flare up and itch and scratch myself. And it was because of that graft versus host disease. I remember in fact, my doctor telling me like, Hey, for the rest of your life, you really need to be careful. You don't get sunburned because there have been cases like Years after treatment, years after it looks like graft-versus-host is gone, a sunburn does something, and all of a sudden, a former patient now has graft-versus-host again, and they got to go through, they have rubbing creams for it, or at least for, for, my, for what I had, they had creams for it for my stage. But yeah, those, those were some of the side effects that um, I got.
0: Yeah, I mean, kind of like you said, you, you experienced the whole, the whole spectrum to say. Yeah,
1: that. oh yeah headaches, got headaches too. It's, I, I, I I'm i very lucky to be here, but I literally, I think, I think my doctors joked one time, I literally got every symptom they warned me about, which, which it is what it is.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I know. it. I know. Would you say that, you know, just out of curiosity, you don't have to expand on it too much, but did your symptoms ever from the medications ever improve or get worse? Um, you know, obviously once they found that you were in the point of totally beating the leukemia, they waned you off of all those, you know, harsh chemotherapies, but I'm just, you know, even with the medications you still take today, did what symptoms Uh, improve? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Symptoms, so the graft versus host improved with the creams. Like, I, again, like I got the most least severe type of case you can get for it. So the creams they gave me like really did a great job, which is really nice because like when you're going through cancer treatment, like sometimes it takes a long time to get a result that like the doctors are are looking for. Um trying to think, you know, obviously as my immune as as my new immune system took up the um the stomach sores went away. The mouth sores went away. Okay, those went away. Matt doesn't need to be on these pain medications anymore. So then those side effects of the pain medications go away, like constipation, for example. So again, you know, it chain reacts and, and kind of like both ways. Um, today, you know, today, like I really don't, besides the like sinusitis, which it, I don't know, because everyone's masking up, or finally, like my immune system is waking up a little bit. Um, I don't get that much. I don't get that very much anymore. I, I have, I've had one sinus infection this year, which I'm very happy about those are those are great numbers for Matthew Cooper um the Synthroid, I don't know if there's any side effects with the Synthroid that I take um yeah I it's definitely gone better over time and yeah once you wean off one med then all of a sudden one side effect goes away and you don't need the other
0: medication so right right all righty well that was very informative I guess I'll close. We'll close out the the conversation and podcast with two questions that I have for you. Okay. Um, so in healthcare, I mean, like like you've outlined for us, many cases involve the help of a you know a healthcare team that has all these different um, you know viewpoints contributing to the big solution at hand. And as you stated, um, I mean, you you had had treatment at Riley for chemo, and then you eventually. Um, had your bone transplant and further chemo at Cincinnati children's Um, just from what you remember who really played the most critical and inspiring part in this team of yours Um, and you know what kind of lasting impacts that they made on you yeah
1: so the most critical role I gotta give to my oncologist you know they have anyone who works in healthcare has a tough job especially de- dealing with um pediatric cancer patients because you know it's not all it's not all a lot of times like and i don't blame them like the media portrays like a very like up and coming or like happy happier story when sometimes the case isn't but that, like that's just not the case you know people unfortunately pass away at young ages because of these diseases and so my oncologist to come up with a plan for such a rare, for what they called such a rare case, to deliver their um, information in an appropriate and timely manner. I really, hindsight really appreciated. You know, and they're busy. I'm not their only patient. They walk in, they're like, Matt, this is what you're taking today. This is the reason why you got questions. Nope. Great. I'm on to my next patient that really also needs my attention. And so I really appreciated that. I'm very grateful for them. Inspiring. I I gotta go to uh, my nurses and a primary care physician because I'm the nurses are the ones that you know if they're not busy. I, I you know I was 17 at the time, like I basically an adult. You know I can hold a conversation with them. And so there were times where the uh, nurses like. Um, we would talk about like our favorite restaurants, or favorite food, or like we had law and order, like SBU nights sometimes with one nurse in particular. I helped another nurse uh, create like a March Madness bracket in the hallways. And, you know, that, that really right there, just making me feel like I'm a human being. Like, I remember, I remember even one point, it was like one of my first days and like, her name was nurse Shelby. And I was just like, she was telling me like, Hey, like, these are the side effects. And like, this, these are the meds that we give you to kind of like stop those side effects. And I was like, well, what happens if those meds don't work and night hits and I'm on all fours puking over like the toilet. And she was like, God gave me two arms and a brain to help you with that too. And I was just like, damn, like this lady's awesome. And so I got to give them that. And then also my primary care physician, um, Dr. Harper, I don't know if you have to blur these names out. So I apologize for them for name dropping them. But uh, Dr. Harper, you know, everyone stays and like, res- like, obviously, respectively, so stays in their own lane, and medicine, your primary care, you do primary care, if you're an oncologist, you do oncologists. And so when I was done, I had to be re immunized for everything with after my bone marrow transplant, and we couldn't find anyone to take me. And then finally, my primary care doctor, who, you know, had taken care of me since I was like two years old, and like I was supposed to graduate out of his office, he was just like, I will take Matt and I will re-immunize him. And so I'm very grateful for him and his staff as well for taking like a 18, 19, 20 year old when all their patients are like three to, I don't know, 12, whatever they were. So very, very grateful for everyone, for sure.
0: That's awesome to hear, it really is. Um, And really inspiring too just one last question I have before we close out, um, after surviving this biphenotypic cancer with this biphenotypic leukemia with this split three cancer or flip three mutation, I apologize. Um, what is one thing you wish you could have told your younger self after being diagnosed? Additionally, how could you say your stories change your view of life compared to the times prior?
1: Yeah. So I wish I could have told myself be be prepared for the side effects that like they warn you about like the long-term side effects to just to hit quicker you know than expected I never once had thyroid issues and now like I'm on I've said it a whole bunch of times like 75 milligrams I think of Synthroid and honestly that really hurt me because I was like like I was like damn like I'm I'm only 20 free and like it's already happening. Like I can literally see it. And like I go back to Cincinnati in February and they're gonna run the same test again. Like how's Matt's heart? How like I do a lung test, they take blood. And so like, you know, fingers crossed and we don't discover another long-term side effect. But unfortunately, yeah, like one has already hit. Um my views on life, I, I would really I really do believe that I don't take much for granted anymore. And that I am more like sympathetic towards others, I I guess, and just have better perspective, which sounds really bad to say that I have better perspective than most, but just, and like, I, I say that with like a grain of salt, because when I was, you know, I was very spoiled, you know, growing up, like never struggled, like once in my life, really for like anything, always had food on the table, was a pretty sociable guy, you know, made friends, and all of a sudden, when, like, you literally have a chance of dying, you know, you kind of just realize, like, what's important in life, and, like, you try not to, like, sweat the smaller things anymore, like, who cares, like, who cares if, like, so-and-so, like, doesn't invite you, like, to their party, you know, like, you're, you're gonna be fine, like, it's gonna be okay, like, so what, you're not, dist- you don't have, like, a six-pack abs or whatever, like, an Instagram model or, like, whatever, it's really okay, you, you know, life moves on, and then, You know, just don't take the. I really feel like I don't take the small things for granted. Like there's at one point in my life, like I like wasn't allowed to shower in fear, like I'll get the port in my chest wet and infected, or I would walk like 300 steps and like I would that was my exercise for the day and I was too tired, or like I couldn't go outside because I was a vampire for some reason and like couldn't be in sunlight, and like I will just never, I will never take any of those things for granted. Like if like it's cheesy to say but like I tell a lot of people like if you have your health like you have everything because there's some people that don't and there are people out there that like are still like in the hospital bed isolated and don't get to do the smaller things in life like walk or take a shower so I definitely feel like I don't take any of the small things for granted anymore
0: right right well that that's riveting it really is Um, Well, that really wraps up our time together, Coop. I just want to thank you um, for providing myself and my classmates and whoever gets to listen to this talk, uh, really just about your journey and some of the nitty gritty details of what it was like to go through um, your diagnosis with leukemia and the whole progression through being treated, through overcoming it, and, you know, now living past it and how that has really just affected your life as a whole it's it's fascinating and I just want to thank you for taking the time to do that with us today
1: yeah no no problem Um, thanks for having me I I learned a lot myself so this was good and and, I'm yeah glad I I hope people can take away something out of this so glad
0: to be here all right well you, you take care my man it was good having you After hearing Matt's story, starting from the time that he was called down to the office at school and ending at the time that he fully recovered from his cancer, a lot can be learned. His journey with biphenotypic leukemia was a roller coaster of a ride. Once diagnosed, he went through multiple stages of corrections with his chemotherapy (coughs) medications that either helped or worsened his symptoms from them. What became even more difficult was dealing with these symptoms and treating these while simultaneously treating the cancerous cells in his body as well. However, by keeping a high head and positive attitude combined with an amazing team of nurses, oncologists, and his primary care physician, Matt came out triumphant in beating such an aggressive form of cancer, so aggressive that he was told he only had a 30 or so percentage chance of surviving from it at such a young age. From what I heard, his story is truly a testament to how amazing modern science is at remedi- remedying such scary situations. Now, to conclude this podcast and tie it back to some of the things that I've learned in my Med-Phys farm class at Marion, one thing that stood out was the different medications he was put on throughout the process, specifically the combination of these medications. I met with Matt and received a small list of of A few of the meds he was on during his last stage of treatment and what I found was that Matt was on nearly six Chemotherapeutics within these six only one was a signal targeted cancer therapy while all the others were traditional therapies serafinib was the signal targeted one and among the traditional ones were a toposide, which is a potophyllotoxin Donorubicin rubicin? a, to- a topoisomerase inhibitor, cytarabine, an anti-metabolite, and busulfan and cyclophosphamide, both of which are alkali- alkylating agents. With such a complex regimen consisting of so many traditional medications, it makes sense why Matt faced such adverse side effects during and after his treatment. However, after being told that 90% of his blood cells were cancerous, it makes perfect sense as to why the doctors had to be so aggressive in treating him. Anyways, I just want to thank you all for taking the time to listen to Matt's story today, and I hope you all can walk away learning a little bit more about treating aggressive forms of cancer and how difficult of a process it can be for the patient, the doctors and healthcare workers involved, and for the family of the patient undergoing treatment. Thank you, and I hope you all have a wonderful day.